0: everyone. Welcome to The Seeker's Quest. Good to, to be here with you all for our third session in this series of disagreements, no disrespect. So again, we're talking about conflict. Uh, the first two sessions, we talked a lot about the causes of conflict. Again, we talked about differences in expectations or unrealistic expectations. And we talked about differences in perceptions. Just on the last class, and then um, this episode, or, and then we also, I always forget this one, the um, miscommunication. That's also another cause of conflict, which, which we didn't so much elaborate on or dissect as much as we did expectations and perception. But I think we'll talk about it a little bit more in this session, actually, where we talk about strategies for um, overcoming conflict or addressing the causes of conflict, I guess. So that will be our focus this session. And we probably won't get all the way to forgiveness, which we planned on doing today, but nothing ever goes according to plan, which is something the universe is teaching me that I have to get used to. (laughs) So uh, we'll probably cover that in the next one. So we'll just continue this series of uh, where we're talking about conflict and ways to deal with it and um, all the way to forgiveness, let it go, I guess. So with that... How are you guys doing? This is, um, this is our marathon day.
1: Yeah, I love, I love a marathon.
0: Do you love a marathon? Have you ever ran a marathon?
1: No, I just love looking at it. The idea of it, the concept of it.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: the idea of it is much better than the actual thing. I've ran a few of them and they're pretty awful. I'll be honest. But this marathon's way better. I actually like this one.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I think both of you like it because I do all the work. That's
0: true. (laughs) We just kind of sit and throw things at him. (laughs) We throw things at him and see if he can arrange it in something intelligent. And then we feel good about it.
2: (laughs) Mm. So I'd say that uh, we look at. Communication for handling conflicts. So on a spectrum, whenever there is conflicts or disagreements, there is something that is unlikable. There's something which will be unlikable. Oh, I would much rather it not be like this. But even what is unlikable can be on different scales. There can be unlikable and intolerable. I just can't live with this. I can't I can't live with someone who has this idea. I can't bear even a, such a person existing. So it could be intolerable. Now this is very very unhealthy, unsustainable, it is prone to conflict then there could be something unlikable and it's incomprehensible. I can't understand why somebody would think like that. But here, I can't understand it. But but it's okay. Maybe it's relevant, maybe it's not relevant. If I can't understand it, I I don't care about it. It could be irrelevant. Hmm? Now, if it is relevant, then there is... slippery slope from here to here it can become intolerable also but at this stage it is not so much I can't bear it I I just don't get it Mm -hmm. but there could be something which is unlikable but it's also intelligible okay I get it I don't agree with it but I understand where you are coming from I understand why you would think like that So, what we would try to do is that if we can move through our communication upwards, take a conflict, take a difference or a conflict from wherever it is, upward towards making it intelligible. Uh, We could have something beyond intelligible also where it could become something just just like him. Then it's not a difference at all. Then it's not a conflict at all. So so right now we're not talking so much about resolving conflicts as managing conflicts. We started by talking about how there will be different perceptions. And sometimes we can have agreement, but sometimes we can just have enrichment. Okay, that's how you think. We'll try to go towards... uh, Arriving at agreement, but our focus was disagreement, but no disrespect. That is an overall overarching theme. So we are saying that yes, there would be disagreement, and we don't have to agree uh, on everything with someone to be to be friends with them or to have a good relationship with them, whether it's a personal relationship or a working relationship. Yeah,
0: you know, I saw this is quote.
2: This- Yeah,
0: I saw this quote on social media the other day that said stop having relationship problems with someone you don't have a relationship with or with people you don't have relationships with. And it's funny (laughs) because yeah, it's like sometimes like you think the guy at the grocery store has to see things the way you do, and it's like, why? (laughs) Why do we get so hung up on that?
2: Stop having a relationship problem. With someone you don't have a relationship with, yeah, it's sometimes we feel that we have to have an opinion on everything, and others have to agree with that opinion. Or somebody doesn't agree disagree with us, then we have to have an opinion about their disagreement.
1: But so if I have a No. So if I want your opinion, CC, then I'll give it to
2: you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is that? What did you say once again?
1: I said if I want your opinion, then I'll give it to you.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's a it's a hilarious expression of a controlled freak. You know? <laughs> it like you are feel free to express your opinion. The only condition is you have to agree with me. (laughs) So I would say this particular quote is talking in our relationship at an incomprehensible level. If something is incomprehensible, let it be incomprehensible. Uh, It's somebody we don't have a relationship with, yeah, why does this person behave like this? Well, it's their life. It's their choice. I don't have to get involved in it. So sometimes we just make Everyone's business, our business. You don't have to do that.
0: Yes. like You'd be surprised of how much conflict you can avoid when you just figure out proper boundaries for yourself and your relationships. That's been like a big one, I think, for me.
2: Yeah, I think this is where sometimes... uh, Some people, I met one one spiritual leader who's known, who's quite well-known, you could say famous or infamous, for criticizing everyone else. And then he told me that he sees himself as a self-appointed spiritual watchdog. That is the word he used for himself. Oh. <laughs> so... Self-appointed. He said something like So everything that is wrong, I have to I have to point it out. Well no, you don't have to. We all have our jurisdictions, and in those jurisdictions we have to do our we do our things. And yes, if there's something wrong, we fix it, but it's not that anything wrong anywhere in the world we have to go about fixing it. Something in the domain of incomprehensible, let it be there, but in that domain. Now, oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, you want to say something, please?
1: Yeah, I was just saying that, you know, this incomprehensible, we can leave it as, as being inconceivable as well, because something, uh, there's two words in Sanskrit that I really like, is achintya and agamya. Inconceivable and incomprehensible. And Mm -hmm. those two words I think about often in my mind. And I'm dealing with, you know, with the world, and even when I'm dealing with the divine, yeah, it's okay to not understand. And so, the whole practice of acceptance, I use these two ways to, uh, you know, in my uh, intellectually understand that that I may not understand.
2: Yeah. yeah, I consider these as signs of humility in the intellectual domain. There can be humility in various domains. Mm-hmm. So the point is that, it's that I don't know everything. I don't need to know everything. Maybe I can't even know everything. That's intellectual... Intellectual humility. So, in one sense, it's each of these is stuff in itself. I don't know everything. To some extent, it is not too difficult to acknowledge that in today's world, because Google and ChatGPT has just exploded the knowledge that is available for humanity. So nobody can know everything but I can't know everything, that's another level, and it could go as, as it's. I don't need to know everything. So here I'm using the word know everything, but I could put it also, in a, that I don't, you can take this knowing everything f- further, I don't have an opinion in everything, I can't have an opinion in everything, I don't need to have an opinion everything. Okay.
1: I just noticed your handwriting got better. Sorry? I just noticed your handwriting just got better. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, the
2: way my mind sees it is like when somebody had made some salad for me when I was in one city and... Asked me, how was the salad? So I said, I like yesterday's salad. <laughs> 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 so, uh, your yeah, handwriting got better is a very polite way of saying that your handwriting was pathetic. <laughs> 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 you know, actually, better... Is, is a very ambiguous appreciation. You know, better can be from good to better, or better can be from bad to better. <laughs> <laughs> so it's got better That what it means. It was a starting point from where it has come.
1: <laughs> so communications.
2: Yeah, communication, yes. Mm. So um, now, this there are things which you might need to just keep in the incomprehensible domain. And again, this actually, in one sense, this communication goes back to the uh, the first point about expectation and perception. Expectation, I don't need to know everything. So, but if we come forward that, okay, if something is at the intolerable level, or something at the incomprehensible level and it is relevant for me. So how do I go about bringing it towards the intelligible level? That is, that is the challenge of uh, dealing with conflicts and disagreements. That's what we will discuss. Any comments, Radha Devi, before we move forward? Arveda?
0: I like what you said about intellectual humility. And I feel like if our goal is really to, to grow and to learn and we understand that we're just part of the whole, like a very, very small part, then it almost becomes second nature. Like we want feedback. We want to hear how we could do better. We don't. We, we only are really defending our territory when we're so stuck in our ego thinking that we have all the answers and we need to have all the answers to be of value. But if we can let go of that. And except, like, actually, we're part and parcel, and that's awesome because that means we have the opportunity. There's room to grow and to expand. Then, then it's great. Then, then we're of the mindset where it's like, please tell me your opinion. Doesn't mean you have to agree with it, but it at least gives you something to to decide if you want to, you know, use it, do something, or not.
2: <laughs> cool. So now the Bhagavad Gita talks about effective speech. It essentially talks about, it doesn't use the word effective, but it talks about discipline of speech. That discipline or austerity of speech, it means that to speak, just like when we discipline something or some, Say, if there's water, the water is flowing here and there, then it can't be used for much. But if the water flows in a particular direction, it goes over the big flow or a waterfall. It's the flow is disciplined in a particular direction, then the water can be used to generate power, electricity, and other power. So disciplining, in one sense, means tapping the power. So, if you tap the power of speech, then that itself will make the speech effective. So, to make the speech effective, the, the Gita talks about two main characteristics of speech, that it has to be sensible. And now, these are not, exa- although I drawn it like a pendulum, these are two components, and they can be a pendulum also. Is sensible and it has to be sensitive. So sensible is what addresses the, the head part of us. The reason we use it. It sort of addresses our reason. It deals more with the objective reality. And within this, it talks about two broad things. One is... We speak that which is truthful. And now there are many truths that can be spoken, but we speak that truth which is also helpful. So if I am in a close relationship with someone, and if there's birthday, it's their birthday, and I say, "You know, I'll give you a gift that will change your life. We have been in a relationship for 20 years, and today I'll tell you, all the faults that I've observed you in the last 20 years. And knowing all these faults, it helps you to change and become a better person. Well, that's, maybe though, all the faults are true. But it's utterly unhelpful. We all can improve, but we have like small capacities to improve at a time. It's Somebody's asleep and they put a small, drop a small pebble on their head. They wake up, but you drop a dozen rocks on their head. They're not going to wake up. They're going to go to permanent sleep. So it has to be sensible, sensible, truthful, and helpful. Yeah, I, feel like, and
0: I feel like I did that with my family. <laughs> when, I, when I started figuring this stuff out, I'm like, all right, let me tell you what's wrong with you. You guys are going to like this. They didn't like it. <laughs> Nobody likes it.
1: Yeah, it's, I
2: think we all do that. I also, when I was introduced to Bhakti, there is, in religious terminology, there is this thing called the zeal of the new convert. Hmm? The new convert thinks that I know everything and I'm enlightened and everyone else is ignorant and I'm going to enlighten everyone. So sometimes we may speak the truth, but we push people away from the truth. Hmm. So in one sense, speaking the truth, its purpose is not just to tell people the truth, but it's to create a seeking for the truth in people. That, I want to know more about this. But, if we come off as, as self-righteous, holier than thou, then we alienate people i was in texas and i was going for a program so i saw one car had a bumper sticker oh god please save me from your preachers <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty so, funny yeah it's like, saves us through his- yeah go ahead
0: it's just like knowing the right medicine and the right dosage of medicine for that person and circumstance. And, and um yeah, when you say speaking the truth, can you scroll down a little bit? So, yeah. It, you know, who does a good job of the therapists do a good job of this? Like, even though you walk in and they're so experienced, they could probably tell you all your issues and what you need to fix it within the first, you know, 10 minutes of the conversation. It's like, if anybody's ever been to therapy, it's like, they don't really tell you they they really try to lead you there and they're more just like a lot of times like a sounding board to you getting there it's like they've recognized that it's not effective to treat people like that you know it's not it's not like you're training an an animal or you know making a machine it's like people need to to get realized in their realizations and that um there's a process for that so being sensitive to that is if you really want to have real results, if that's your actual objective, I think oftentimes your objective is really just to prove that you're right or exert your superiority or righteousness. So then it's like just getting clear in that, I guess. <laughs> Brittany's back. Yeah, okay. Look at that. Brittany, welcome back. We missed you. <laughs> Brittany just hopped on.
2: Okay. So if it's only sensible it can be alienating. Hmm? So, but on the other hand, so this is a pendulum and it will come in the middle of it afterwards. I was and explain the categories whether you want to add something.
1: Uh, I'm enjoying so far.
2: Well, I think you added the best thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now in the sensitive part, we could say, at the very least, we try to be non agitating, and then even better, we can try to be pleasing. Mm. It means we don't speak in a way that is going to uh, trigger others is going to uh, probably bring a negative reaction within them, but beyond that sensitivity is just not about not just about not agitating others it's also actually about speaking in a way that is pleasing uplifting so in one sense this addresses the emotion side or the subjective side so both are important in their own right and effective speech is a balance of being sensitive and sensible. Now, of course, we can go into the specifics of these. But sensitivity, I think, Veda, this is your field. I was
0: thinking of Veda when you started explaining this. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is Veda.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so we are, sensitive to your, so we, are sen- we are exhibiting sensitivity towards your sensitivity. <laughs> so would you like to elaborate on the importance uh, of being sensitive?
1: I think, you know, the, the balance which you're talking about is, 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 is powerful. If you go up again a little bit, yes, yes. You know, sensible, I think it's, there is a component of a lot of uh, intelligence and deliberation and, and in 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 uh in presenting so intelligence is more involved in the sensible in in the sensible aspect. And the sensitive aspect I see more taking into consideration that person's uh you know their psychophysical nature or their emotional status and in and, and thereby making sure that it's not causing more disruptions in their current status and making sure somehow to soothe that.
2: Yes, definitely. And uh, there are many times when uh, if you're not sensitive, it just ends up making, either creating an unnecessary problem or making an existing problem worse. At one time in... uh, Around 2004, 2005, I had been sick for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it, the worst part of being sick, at least in my experience, is not being sick, but is not knowing why you are sick. No doctors could diagnose anything. And a lot of blood tests had been done try this, try that, try that. And I was hospitalized. And then a the nurse came and she was told to take another blood test. And she was, she had a needle and she was looking at both my hands and both my arms were had been pierced with holes. So she spent almost five minutes looking at the various parts in the hand to find out, Hey, where should I, where should I pierce? Oh, at that time I had been studying the Bhagavad Gita. So I just, uh, it struck me that this was, she could have said, it's my job to draw blood. And, uh, no, I just did that. But and she would have just done her function that way. And she would have been right in one sense. Okay, just uh, she drew the blood. But she's sensitive enough, that means she knew that I already had some cuts, some bruises, and piercing over there would cause more pain. But she took the time to find out where she could pierce. So similarly, in one sense, being sensitive, it it just means being aware of people's, you could say, sore spots, or their tender spots. So it is both ways, where they are sore is where they are injured, you could say tender is where they are vulnerable. Now the two, two can be similar, can be the same, but the two can be different also so it's it's in one sense the response it's our responsibility when we are speaking if we want our speech to be effective to know who we are speaking to and where uh, where they are prone to have a negative reaction that's that sensitivity
1: it's it's a very delicate uh matter because it's hard to uh, know the different uh, scars that people carry internally because human beings are pretty apt to uh, kind of cover those so well so that you don't really know. So that's why I think it's, it's important. I always feel that it's so important to ask very simple, open-ended questions and thereby gauge their injuries and their vulnerabilities before we present uh, our communications because it's it's complex and by asking those simple open-ended questions and then they will decide whether they trust you to reveal their injuries you know did you see this this is from this battle do you see this this is from that battle and then going a little bit deeper into asking you know, about those, the history of those scars enables us to have this very sensitive approach to dealing with people.
2: Just two thoughts. Uh, I, I, I love this point about asking simple open-ended questions. That uh, That's why in general, when we are talking about conflicts, I mean, this is a whole subject in itself. But uh, when there is a conflict, it's extremely difficult. But our we go prepared with criticism, criticism in the sense that that what is wrong with the other person's position. But this now this may be necessary at times. But this is not desirable as a first step. If the first thing we do, we start criticizing the position. That doesn't work. But if we could begin with curiosity, it's very difficult. Okay, curiosity seems to be a very uh, the opposite of what we tend to have hmm? when we are in a conflict. But if you can just have that curiosity, okay. Now, can you tell me? Uh, Why you think like this? So criticism would be, how can you think like this? How can you speak like this? Now, generally when this kind of question is asked, how can you think like this? It's not actually a genuine question. It's more of a rhetorical question which which contains a condemnation. Hmm? Can you explain why you think like this? This could be a more open-ended question where rather than simply giving our evaluation of their position, we are trying to understand their position. So, sensitivity can just, in that sense, sensitivity can, I mean, yeah, you're saying about asking open-ended questions, it can just begin with. Again, humility. That humility means, but maybe, I don't know why they think like this. So quite often, what happens if I'm seeing someone, I only see the actions of the person. And below that actions are the motivations of that person. Because earlier we were talking about the appearance and the substance. So I can see the actions, and then a part of me infers, ev- assumes, it. I make inferences about the motivations. But when I make inferences like this, the inferences could very easily go wrong. So rather than assuming or inferring the motivation, if we could instead... focus on simply inquiring, that could be very helpful. Okay, then we get a get a, a handle on the person, we get a hang of where that person is coming from.
0: Yeah, yes. you know, we, yeah. I was just gonna say when he wrote up, um, and you scroll up when you, if you scroll up when you wrote criticism versus curiosity, just thinking, Criticism is such a fear-based reaction, right? Like it's a way to like almost like separate yourself. Uh, d- definitely fear-based. And curiosity is, is more love-based, right? It's, it's like trying to, seeking to understand. And in that mutual understanding, um, that authentic connection that exists, criticism is just, there's no connection there. It's just... Okay, let me tell you why you're bad and I'm good, or why you're wrong and I'm right. And then automatically that connection is like severed. And yeah, the opposite is true for curiosity. So it's um sometimes it's even just like trying to identify why we're in a fear based mindset. Like, is there some kind of conditioning that makes me want to criticize this person based off this, or or am I too close that I'm fearful? How can I get back? How can I situate myself back in a love-based mindset? Do I need to figure out boundaries where I feel safe? Or do do I need to kind of fix my own conditioning?
2: So, yeah, that's a good point. When you said fear-based, I thought of security-based rather than love-based. I was thinking more in terms of say, if there are two people and when I'm seeing the other person, this person has a different opinion, then, when I, I want to criticize, that's because I'm afraid. What does this mean? Does it mean that I'm wrong? So love-based means I'm still concerned about you. I, I have affection for that person. But I would say security-based could mean that you know, even in that even if that person has that opinion, it's more like I have a foundation. So because I have a foundation, I have deep roots, so I don't feel vulnerable. It's almost like when two people have different opinions, you have to be wrong for me to be right. Mm. That does, it doesn't have to be like that. So it could be law-based, it could be security-based also. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, go ahead, please.
1: Go up a little bit. There we go. Yeah, yeah, it's good. You know how you put being sensitivity is begin with humility. You know, I think sometimes this whole begin with humility it's kind of broad, but in my sense. I say, it's to know that you do not know anything about this person or about the situation. And you're genuinely humble to hear the, the, the narrative of that person that you're dealing with. And unless you have that humility that I don't know what this person is feeling, I don't know what this person is thinking, and I'm that when that curiosity is there with humility, curiosity in itself will not work because it will not have the genuine emotion of humility to follow it. So I think that unless we really understand that, in my opinion, I feel that there has to be a deep sense of humility in it that I do not know what this person is going through. I do not know how this person feels. There's not, not much that I know. And so from that space of humility, then that curiosity, because curiosity in itself can be blah, you know, like I don't really care, but I just want to know. But that humility and curiosity, because it brings that spiritual element and which is compassion not just you know empathy and sympathy but there's truly a, a desire to help someone and that is Vaishnava, that is divine quality of compassion so that's something i was thinking about as you were sharing brother
0: yeah you know veda i feel like um you <laughs> i feel like you really exude this and it's, you know, when you're around people like this, cause I feel this way with you and I've communicated this to you, like the level of trust that you feel like with Veda, when I'm talking to Veda, I'd feel like I'll just like blabble, like, I'll just like tell him anything because I just like, I'd feel so like accepted and, um, and it's, and I can feel that in Veda. And when I feel that in Veda, it makes me want to be like that. Because it's really, it's like, again, the fertile ground needed for strong relationships is when you can show up with that, without that, um what's that word that starts with a P? Is it pretense? That's like, I know you and I know your story and I know how you feel and where you are. It takes so much like courage to stand up and say, I don't know you or your story or where you are, how you feel. And I want to hear it. I'm here for you. And I feel that from Veda, and I appreciate that, and I hope that rubs off on me
1: <laughs> All right, see see I I'll see it bail me out <laughs> mm.
2: beautifully, put, yeah actually being non-judgmental is uh is I would say of uh, the defining virtues of Veda
1: oh my I, God. <laughs> Look at him. Thanks for putting it strange. down the barrel. <laughs> <laughs> Flushing it
2: down the the, the drain. <laughs> well you know what you're saying it just triggered me, it's it's gonna be a whole session in itself. Curiosity and humility. When we have both, we seek to know so that we can understand and grow. But oh. When we have curiosity, but no humility, You want to know to refute and reject. We refute the opinion and then we want to reject the person.
0: Mm. Yeah, and we all know people like this in our lives too, who you feel like are constantly asking you questions, not to like really seek to understand you, but to separate themselves from you. Like, oh, I, I want to know, you know, what kind of car you drive or what you do so that uh, then I can feel like I'm better like that kind of energy. And that is like, so disconnecting.
1: Or you drive a beat up car and I don't want to be hanging out with you in your beat up car. (laughs) 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 You're not not up to my status. You're not driving a Bentley.
0: Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: Yeah. It could also be, I was thinking more from a intellectual philosophical perspective also that, that, now, I want to know your opinion so that I can find holes in it and I can destroy it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it could be from that perspective also that sometimes we are seeking to, we're hearing not for understanding, but for refuting. Right. So people can hear very attentively, but then they're not looking at the whole picture. Just in general, in argument, there is this whole idea of straw man argument that suppose somebody is a big boxer and if you go into enter into if we enter into the boxing ring that person that person would just punch us and we'll be out so what we do is we get a a straw replica of that boxer and then we punch that and the whole straw replica just scatters they are defeated them so it's like that that's the idea of a straw man argument we we misrepresent or present the argument of the person in such a way that only the weakest points in that argument are there. So it's a, it resembles the other person's position, but it resembles only in its all its weaknesses. And the shape of that wrestler might be replicated in the straw man, but the essence of the wrestler is not there at all. So sometimes this can be in fact, very alienating. If somebody acts as if they're curious and then they learn and they just go out and refute everything. So,
1: You know, you reminded in, me to feel... Yeah? In, in, Please go ahead. In, in the school, <laughs> we used to have uh, classes that the teachers would give. And if it was just a peer giving a class... Then all the students would try to ask questions. And the intent of the asking of those questions, it was nothing spiritual. It was simply some of the questions were asked simply to show the audience that they're very intelligent. You know, it was like to prove a point that I'm smarter than you. And nobody actually asked questions or said anything to, you know, to, to, to learn. It was. Strictly an exercise of intellectual, uh, you know, wrestling match. Who could present themselves as being more eloquent, or more intelligent, or more precise, or or know more, or make the other person feel uh, like they did a lousy job. So this whole point of asking questions, I really feel it's a big. Uh, It's a big uh, ditch that we can put ourselves in unless the intent of the question is right. Curiosity in itself, I feel, is insufficient.
2: Yeah, agreed. Now, of course, if there's no curiosity and no humility at all, then it's just the disconnect it only keep worsening. they keep increasing. Now, if there is humility without curiosity, my understanding is that there will be, at the most, there will be some stagnation. Mm. Mm-hmm. No growth. Now, this could be in the zone of, if you go back to the original graph, that this will this particular curiosity plus humility will get us somewhere to the level of intelligible from wherever we start. Why do you think like this? Now, humility without curiosity, it might just keep us at the level of incomprehensible. Okay, I don't understand it. I don't care about it. But... Quite often, if there's neither curiosity nor humility, that could very well take one down towards the intolerable level. Where a person starts thinking that, oh, this is wrong and I am right in saying that you are wrong. So, when that happens, it's not only I am right in saying that you are wrong, But I have a right to say that you are wrong. That's fine. And I have a right to condemn you for being wrong. And that becomes, mm, that becomes uh, terrible. It goes down towards the intolerable level. And here also, here it seems to, it's like something which is, it's almost like here it's going upward to go downward. It's like you bring something. Toward the comprehensible level, you have curiosity, it's incomprehensible. And we hear something to make it comprehensible or intelligible, you could say. But after that, you just go back and show how it is totally intolerable. And this is outrageous. This cannot be accepted at all.
0: Yeah. You know, looking at this, it's like you could, you could put it in the context of relationships, each one and see how like, again, if you're in a relationship with someone and you're humble, but you don't really ask a lot of questions or make much endeavor, you don't really get to know them very well, likely. And the connection is just kind of like stagnant. Like maybe there's a lot of respect there, but there's not much like connection. Uh, same way in like your spiritual practice, right? If you're, if you're humble and you're open, but you're not really like, actively seeking then your your growth is probably gonna match that so this it's interesting how you could put this in different contexts and it and it all holds true so even like material endeavors really how successful you are at work you know if you go in with a like oh i know it all attitude Nobody's probably going to really want to work with you, and you're going to be limited by how much you can grow by yourself. But the more open that you are and humble that you are, the more successful that you'll be, probably. This was a big lesson I feel like I learned from the Bhagavad Gita when I, when I came into this, and I saw, like, my work life just, like, take off. Just these two things, curiosity and humility. It's like a recipe for success in anything,
2: I feel like. Yeah. Nicely, mm, but whether you wanted to say something?
1: No, no, let's carry on. This communication topic is very beautiful.
2: Yeah, I think we may need to talk more about it. But this combination of humility and curiosity, this combination, you could put it as that you could say there are two holes, uh, two holes, not two boxes. What I know, And what I don't know, it could be about a particular situation, it could be about a particular person, could be about a particular decision that they have made, which makes us angry. So, in one sense, you can say humility is this way. When we have humility, it at least acknowledging the existence of this that there is something which I don't know. And in one sense, you could say curiosity means that we consider this to be more important. That what I don't know, at least I'm open to the possibility, what I don't know be more important than what I know now this person made this decision that's what I know this person spoke these words about me very hurtful uh, I know that but in what context did they say that maybe the context they meant something else in that context uh, so that openness but to say that To say that I don't know anything about somebody, I don't know anything about this person, it's quite difficult because we do know some things about them and we don't want to be dismissive about what we know about them or what we know about the situation, whatever is the lightning rod for the conflict. But what I don't know, maybe it is more important. So, I'm not even saying it's important, but maybe more important. If you can even have that level of openness, then that can create a very good foundation for a fruitful discussion. So without this, it's going to be just the meeting would actually make things worse. Like that sometimes two people talk past each other. I'm talking... Where you are not there at all. Like the two people are here. The person is here. It's almost like this person is talking in this direction. This person is talking in this direction. Both of them are simply making their points and they're not even trying to understand each other. And then that happens then You see, and we, you went pardon? out a little
0: bit. You went out a little bit. You were saying they talk past each other, and when that happens, and then
2: you went out, and then things remain incomprehensible, or they can even become intolerable. Because we talked, and I only heard how you disagree with me, and I just that reinforces my conception that you are beyond redemption. You are beyond uh, talking with also. so that's why in uh, in geopolitics it is said that when the when the discussions stop the fights begin the war begins so at some level the discussions need to keep happening and that's what, that comes from the foundation that what i don't know maybe more important than what i do know
0: hmm yeah like that saying um the more i know the more the more i learn that i don't know <laughs> like when you when you actually start to understand something especially in spiritual life I feel like the more it's like oh my gosh I don't know anything which is again such a beautiful part of spiritual life cuz it's like it's the point like the ceiling raises so high that it's like you have no choice other to, than to acknowledge your smallness <laughs> then it's a relief it's like oh I don't have to know everything i'm actually my value is not in how much i know it's how much it's in how much i can acknowledge that i don't know which is like mater- like a shift from material thinking to spiritual thinking which then just opens you up for so much love from yourself and others really
2: yeah i like to rephrase this slightly the more i know the more i come to know how much i don't know yeah And it's a a humanity-explored space. So when we were on the Earth, it's just a nice canvas of twinkling objects. But when we go into space and we have probes from there, we have cameras from there, we understand how vast the space is and how little we know about it. This is actually, in one sense, any field of knowledge we go, we realize that there is so much more to know about it so that's quite uh, that's quite empowering in one sense this is this helps us use a nice word I just I'm going to comment on that but I forgot Do you remember what you said after you made this code that this is it is, it is a relief, it's liberating or something? You said one more it's thing. It's
0: because you're, when you realize that your value doesn't come from what oh, yeah. you know, but your value comes from how much you can acknowledge what you don't know, which is like a shift from material thinking to spiritual thinking.
1: But This is the expression of humility, though. So we're doing yeah, you know? it. Expressing humility. In its, in its true form.
2: Actually, I would say that my value doesn't necessarily come from what I don't know. Yeah, maybe it does, but it's also, I would say that how I contribute, how I serve, how I can be of help. Some people, they know a lot, but the purpose of their knowledge is to just show it off to others, and they want everyone else to praise them and be now of them for how much they know. For some people, okay. Okay. Even if I know a little, I can contribute with the little that I know. If I get to know more, than I can contribute more. Like that. So, yeah, I guess value, I, didn't say,
0: I didn't say the value comes from how much I don't know. I said the acknowledgement of how much I don't know, which I think that Veda said is yeah, the expression I, of yeah. humility. I sometimes kind of struggle with this, how I contribute, because that's kind of, sometimes that can be interpreted as like in the in the box of like, being a doer like okay well i contributed this much and yesterday i contributed this much so my value is bigger today than just like i don't know i, I sometimes that kind of wording and it's okay. just a little like
2: yeah let's and i feel like it can discussion. be
0: kind of exploited too like oh well the more you serve the more that your spiritual progress and it's just like i don't know i kind of struggle with that wording to be honest
2: I was using the word contribute simply in the sense of make a positive difference over there that if there's a conflict that what is my contribution am I with my knowledge just escalating the argument maybe using my knowledge to speak in a way which is condescending and condemning or am I okay whatever I know maybe little or more I'm trying to build bridges. Am I trying to be a positive influence in the situation? I'd so, probably say something.
0: I guess I'd probably say something then more that's like how I show up like something that maybe seems to speak more to the essence than the result.
1: Yeah, sure. You know, show sure. Up.
0: it's probably just semantics, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs>
1: You know, one thing I was thinking in this communication theme topic, sometimes more is said when nothing is said. Because, you know, a lot of people in this world, they, they are equipped to deal with their own issues. And the more we just simply listen to them, give them a year, listen to them, and they themselves, whatever issues they have, is resolved. I have this habit sometimes when people uh, call me about their problems. I'll put my phone on and I'll ask them a question and I'll let them talk. And they will talk. I remember one time I uh, started a conversation at, I think it was like 10 p.m., Someone was going through some difficulties. And I was in bed, so I took that call anyways, and I put myself on mute. I went to sleep, and I woke up in the middle of the night after four hours, and that person was still talking. And and
0: (laughs) Now I'm going to (laughs) wonder.
1: After four hours, they were still talking. And I I said, "Uh, I think it's time for you to rest right now. And then he goes on to tell me how much I solved all his problems in my sleep. (laughs) He said, you know, I just realized I I have the solution and, you know, and he gave me his own solution. And I said, wow, that's phenomenal that you found your, you know, your, your, your solution. And I please get some sleep now. (laughs) And this person goes to sleep. So this whole principle of communication, it doesn't always have to be that you have to say something. You have to defend your ground. You know, you have, there's sometimes all someone needs is someone to listen to them and, and not even have to ask questions. That in itself, their issues get resolved because they got a chance to hear themselves and find their own solution because in sharing with someone, your struggles, then I feel the super soul within the heart allows you to find some answers. That's something that I always keep in mind about communications. You don't always have to say something.
2: That's an excellent point in counseling in general. Uh maybe we should have a separate session on counseling also. I'm not sure how much it will help in conflict resolution when two people are there.
1: I was thinking in it, terms of communication.
2: Yeah, com- they're talking about communication for conflict resolution. Yeah. It's. Uh, it's. You know, if I know that I'm speaking and you are sleeping, that's probably going to <laughs> Change <know>. the temperature. <laughs> I'm
0: thinking like, what the hell? <laughs> I
1: shouldn't have spilled the beans, huh? <laughs>
2: You must have some special vibhuti in your sleep to keep saying "Mm, "hmm." (laughs) Hmm. He's an
0: app for that—an app that, like, after like ten seconds of silence, there's like a (laughs) veda injection. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: No, one thing you said rather pretty. I really liked just a, a few sentences ago. You know. I have to look at it. He wrote it down. He said it very nicely, you know. To to be able to listen to others, I'm trying to see where it is. Just to be able to listen to others,
2: I don't know this person's story.
1: That um, part. Yeah, I think this is the one. Anyway. I forget it. I lost my train of thought. So carry on.
0: Was it when I was complimenting you?
1: No, 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 definitely (laughs) not.
0: Definitely not. Now we know how to get (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: Veda. When you say that you lost your train of thought, you're assuming that you even have a train of thought, (laughs) Prabhu.
1: That's a good one. That's a good one. (laughs) I'm definitely not on a train. I'm on a plane, always flying.
0: (laughs) Just dropping, just dropping no, with some bombs
2: you're, you're even flying. You're <laughs> not even flying. You're actually jumping from one plane to another. <laughs> <laughs> jumping from one thought to another thought. It's spontaneous beauty. So, so Yeah. So we're talking about the having this balance of both sensi- sensible, and sensitive. And um, maybe I'll just make one or two quick points and then we can conclude. So the key principle I feel here is that whenever we are, whenever conflict is there, uh, often, and this is a well-known thing, it is, how do I draw this now? Okay. It's like the spoken conflict is just the tip of the iceberg. And this is the this is the, the spoken conflict. This is, and somebody said, "This is my issue. I'm angry with you because of this." And under underlying this, there are unspoken issues. So sometimes we just address the conflict. Okay, okay. This is this is your interest. This is my interest. Okay, you take this part. I'll take this part, and we might resolve the issue at that level itself. But quite often, when we are only sensible, then we are only addressing the spoken issues. The direct or the spoken issues are being addressed. But it is, hmm, it is, what is that, you know, issues, we often think that issues cause conflicts. And that is true, but it is often people with issues that cause conflicts. Mm -hmm. So the people with issues means there's this whole unspoken dimension below. Mm. But this is actually in many ways what is being addressed by being sensitive. So when people see that there is basic respect there is concern there is there is patience okay you're taking the time to hear me that may not solve the conflict but that at least shows that there is some communication happening so then the unspoken issues are often not so much that, you know, I have to take this stand and you have to take that stand. And sometimes at a practical level, two positions just might be irre- irreconciliable. You now we have a particular, if you are doing a project together and we have a particular budget. Now, when you could use it to do it in this way or you could use it to do it that way. Ultimately, we have to take one decision. So sometimes that's why I was focusing on we have to have a, we may have a disagreement. There's no way to resolve the disagreement in the sense that both of us can, uh, we can get a mutually satisfactory solution. But what can happen is that we can learn to live with the disagreement if we find that there is something shared, something common, and that brings us closer. So. With those unspoken issues are addressed when, when two people just have a a candid, candid, curti- candid, courteous discussion, then that's when we come to the place where there's a candid and courteous conversation. And that leads to hmm, disagreement may remain. On specific issues, I said it's the issues seem to be the cause of the problem, but the people with issues who are there, they are are addressed. There is, there's at a deeper level, there is agreement comes on deeper things, deeper values, deeper purposes. And when that comes about, that actually can make uh, make not only the relationship survive, but even thrive. Okay. So... That's my, the last part of my use Vedas word three-hour rant today.
1: <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. So, any concluding reflections, comments on this?
1: On the bottom, I like when you went all the way to the bottom, your conclusion. Disagreement may remain on specific issues, but an agreement comes on deeper values and purpose. I really think mm-hmm. that the core of communication is right there, you know. That what is it that we really, really value and what is our purpose in life? If, if this becomes the core, uh, uh, foundational of all dialogues, then communication will always, uh, be in the mode of goodness and it will not go down to the mode of ignorance or my way or the highway, you know. So I feel that in our lives, if we can try and find what is our purpose in life and what are our values related to that purpose, and all communications in life is based on those two core essence, then... All communications, I think, will be very, very pleasant in this world. So I love that.
2: Thank you. do you have anything to summarize?
0: Yeah, summarize. I, was, I liked Vedas. It was a great way to, to end it.
2: Mm. So today, we discussed in the session about when there are disagreements, how can we deal with them in a way that, especially what role can communication play? So broadly talked about how communication can take something, some difference that is there from intolerable upward towards incomprehensible. Okay. I, I don't understand, but I can, I can live with it. And then intelligible. Yeah. I understand where you are coming from. The communication can take us up in this direction. So we talked about, uh, for this purpose, how, how, how can we go on that journey? So talk about the Gita's balance of effective speech. You want it to be effective, it is Sensi- sensible, sensitive, and sensible. So sensitive of, uh, addresses the heart, the emotion, the reason, the emotion side and the subjective side and sensible addresses the objective side, the, the reason side of things. And when both are addressed and that is the most transformative, and then discuss elaborately about how to, what sensitivity means, or how can we increase our sensitivity. So one was open-ended questions. And for asking these open-ended questions, this combination of humility and curiosity, the idea that Is there are things that I don't know, And I want to know them, maybe they are more important than what I do know. We talked about these four quadrants with humility and curiosity. And then Mm -hmm. we discussed also uh, about how uh, even if disagreements, if there is sensitivity, then we can in one sense, we can, the issues may remain, but that only people with issues won't. People with issues will come closer. So that's how communication can play a role beyond just getting some external agreement to more like an inner alignment. So even if there's external, so we could say that we talked about a topic was disagreement, but no disrespect. So we could say that there could be outer disagreement that may be there, and we live in a finite world with finite resources. So sometimes one course of has to be taken, one course of action has to be taken. That mean we dis- that may be disagreement, but that will be inner alignment, and that's mm-hmm. what matters ultimately. Thank you very much. All right.